Okay, hello everybody. Uh, my name is Andy, and this is Recovery Friends Podcast. Um, and we are here with a new episode. Um, real quick um, about our podcast. We um, do not represent any 12-step programs or speak for any 12-step programs. The opinions and experiences expressed on this program are solely the opinions and experiences of the speaker and the host. Um, you know, our only hope and goal is that maybe somebody out there comes across this podcast, listens to a few episodes, and maybe gets a little hope and um, and starts believing maybe that they can change. And if and maybe that leads to some action in that regard, and maybe their lives do change. I don't know. Uh, we um, we all we're trying to do is capture the spirit of recovery in this podcast, and uh, and so yeah, that's about <laughs> that's about the gist of that. Um, Today, um, on our podcast, we have Corbin from the Mississippi Delta. Oh, no, <laughs> a little more south of Mississippi. Um, not ne- not necessarily a coastal, a little more um, landlocked, um, but certainly definitely south Mississippi, not the Delta. Uh-huh. We're, we're a little more uh, fried chicken. There are a little more uh, tamales. Tamales, really? Mm-hmm. Is that a, a thing? What I didn't, I had no idea that that was a thing in Mississippi. Yeah, well, in the north, it's like it's made with cornmeal. Uh-huh. Um, I think instead of like like maize or like mice, mice, mice. Yeah. Okay, now, there's me being culturally insensitive, but it's like they they do it like with cornmeal, and that's like what makes a Delta style tamale. Oh, that's interesting. So, I didn't know. Are they sweet? Uh, no, it, yeah, like in a weird way, they're like kind of soft and delicate, and uh, like you can do beef or you know shredded pork like shredded chicken or whatever i tried to like introduce them to my girlfriend and she was from san antonio and uh-huh. i was like aren't these the greatest thing in the world <laughs> and she was like you know i'm from texas right and oh. i was like oh yeah <laughs> yeah i guess not but that sounds incredible dude i mean i grew up eating i'm from guatemala originally yeah. <laughs> so i grew up eating tamales i would love to taste those it's worth it i think well at it's least funny because <laughs> here in new orleans they have this truck i see sometimes on claiborne <laughs> And it's like soul tamales, you know, and I've stopped and eaten them and they're delicious. Oh, I bet. And I love them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no tamales <laughs> where you're from. Fried chicken. Fried chicken. Which New Orleans is a fried chicken mecca, I think. Absolutely. There's right. uh, there's no one doing it better. I'm just going to throw it wow. down there. That there was, you go. Thank you. That was the gauntlet. Like I have anything to do with it. I just live here. Like, thank you very much for giving us that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've heard people say that, right? Uh, you have a few like Dookie Chases mm-hmm. and uh, Willie Mays. Yes, and... Willie Mays is incredible because like you go in there and like you like you can hear other people eating the chicken yeah. because it's like a soft tempura batter. It's really impressive. Yeah, no, the way they batter it is incredible. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's like they don't use a lot of uh, breading or mm-hmm. it's not. A lot of flour. It's like a Japanese style. It's like yeah. tempura. It's yeah. really weird. I like it's that. It's super awesome. It's like, um, um, I don't even know what it's called. Uh, batter. Like mm-hmm. just a batter and that's not really a whole lot of flour. Yeah. that This this whole city, hi-hat's great. I mean, Popeye's here. It's crazy. When you go to a Popeye's in Mississippi, it's just like not the same. You go to one in New Orleans, it's like, oh my God, yeah. everything Dude, is perfect. I love chicken so much. Me too. Dude, I <laughs> But it makes me like I've been eating healthy, so I, it makes me it, like when I eat it now, it makes me feel horrible <laughs> immediately. Like I feel not like like yeah, there's the guilt and shame and and, and, <laughs> and the self flagellation part of it, but there's also like I feel it almost like I feel it coursing through my veins. <laughs> my hands are shaking, <laughs> tremors. Yeah, uh, honestly, I can't sleep at that night. I'm just like. It's like a horrible experience, but I love fried chicken. It's probably one of my favorite foods. I'm not there yet. I'm kind of like, like, uh, like I'm that way without it. Like I might get sick without like oh. chicken. I don't get sick when I'm eating. That's not a bad place to be though. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, shit. That was a lot of talk about chicken. 
<laughs> Next up, I'm just going to do some ASMR of me That's eating it. some fried chicken. That's it. Well, and it's well, going to be cold <laughs> and everyone's going to be weirded out. No one's going to stay sober. Just smacking and crunching <laughs> and grease dripping on the mic. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so yeah. So you grew up in Mississippi, right? Yeah, man. Uh, so why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us a little about that? Yeah. So just kind of a little bit about me, like, um, I uh, got sober in Mississippi and I'm coming up on five years of sobriety and uh, I do go to a 12 step program probably five times a week, read a lot, read literature um, every morning with uh, my sponsor and his, you know, sponsor and, you know, sometimes sponsees. And um, um, that's really what I owe a lot of my credit to. But um, yeah, Mississippi uh, was a very... um, you know, I look at it a lot differently now, and I really, uh, I really love it. The more that I stay away from it, mm. and um, you know, when I grew up, I, I always felt, you know, I've heard other people say this that like other people got the playbook of life, mm. the, like these rules, you know, whether explicit or implicit, and I just couldn't get it. Yeah, and um, I always felt oddly a part of, but always feeling different. Um, which like like i so i grew up like and i was like overweight um and i think that's where like the beginning of my identity issues started like i was overweight um in mississippi and like when i went to public school not so much when i went into private school and elementary school but when i went to public school like i got picked on it a lot um picked on it for it a lot which was kind of a paradox because i was like like i was like fat and i was white and i was christian and i got picked on which really i should have been the governor if i had all those things you know and so but i i struggled with that and so i kind of learned that like if you're funny like people won't like mess with you yeah and in a way like that sort of people pleasing kind of sets you up for like a first layer of addiction Mm. or like the first layer of a character defect it's like never letting yourself really feel like what just happened to you or what was just said. So, um, and, uh, I grew up in a, a household that we like, and I, I, I want to stress that like, there was a lot of joy in my household yeah. and I had a lot of like privileged things that a lot of people did not have. There was also a lot of fear and some scary moments in my household. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of moments of uh, crisis. Yeah. And so I don't think that I, um, walk away from that thinking, you know, oh, I'm a, a victim of crisis, but I am a person who has been confused by all yeah, of that. It imprints on you. Obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important, like really digging deep into family history is great, you know, because it heals your family and wow. it heals me. And so, um, and so like I've got family members, alcoholism and drug addiction all around me. Um, I have my my father and my grandfather both are sober um and you know i but i didn't i didn't really have that like that was not a parachute for me mm-hmm. like i didn't know anything about alcoholism and you know i didn't really even think about drinking because when you're in mississippi there's a lot of dry counties it's yeah. like you know did you grow up in one uh outside of it so yeah. like I, I grew up in the city of laurel and then jones county was like a dry county mm-hmm. and it's like alcohol was so far removed from me because like I was in like, like a Christian environment that it's just like drugs and alcohol felt like a mythological thing that like that you never even considered right that you would ever even touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like they're doing it in New York. It will never (laughs) heathens in New York. (laughs) So, but like fucking Babylon. Yeah. (laughs) It's not, but it's like, I, I didn't really. And so, as a child, I didn't really like picture myself being a part or involved with all that. And so, you know, I knew that there were a bunch of like kids that dipped, smoked cigarettes, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but you know, I had, um, I had my history like with being around addiction started like, uh, so my grandmother was a really special woman. And, uh, I talk about her because like, this is like, you know, when, when you're a kid, like, it being around an active uh addict is not always a like an, a, some sort of terrifying place but like as a kid you're just kind of a participant and so like my grandmother would always pick me up from school every tuesday and thursday she would take me to uh um subway and i would get a sandwich and i would then she would give me 20 dollars, and i would go 
you know, buy whatever. And uh, then my grandfather ran an arcade. And so I got to, um, you know, play arcade games every Tuesday and Thursday for free, which, uh, by the way, that's a that's a horrible thing to break yourself from as an adult <laughs> is that every Tuesday and Thursday you should be playing uh, free video games. Never had that. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but so like we would do that from like three to five p.m. And then we would drive home and walk away from that. And then at five p.m., my grandmother would go to a pharmacy mm. every Tuesday and Thursday. And I could never understand why we were always going to the pharmacy. Just part of your day. Yeah, just part of the day. Just thought, well, she's older, you know, that you, you got to go get what you need. And so I, um, so she would do that. And then we would come inside um, of her place. She would put on a movie. We would listen to music um, together, you know, just hang out. And then she would just go to sleep really, really early. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, I guess I'm just alone. And so, you know, I, I kind of learned to have like an imagination and like, you know, be a creative person from that but stepping back from it now it's like you can see like something yeah something was up um but i didn't know about that and honestly i didn't know about it until i was 22 years old mm -hmm. um and so well for my own personal like um you know issues with like drugs and alcohol so I, it first started um in in 10th grade i joined the swim team um which if you've listened like to this story so far i'm overweight yeah. and i joined the swim team um That's i wasn't there for swimming um those guys were smoking weed and i really wanted to be a part of that okay and uh i was gonna say that's incredibly brave of you i mean you you know what it's like like i'm breaking the barriers there's a yeah. glass ceiling for fat asses and i was <laughs> nearly gonna gonna give it to the world but like i'll never forget the day when this guy that I was on the swim team with, he got out of the shower and I got out of the shower and I was wrapped up in my towel and he put his hand around me and he said like, today you're going to smoke weed. <laughs> and that was like the first time in my life where I didn't want to jump out of my own skin. Mm. Um, but immediately, like from the first time I ever used like weed, I um, got into consequences literally the same day with hours later, we had gotten done smoking weed around Sandersville, Mississippi, and we go through a stop sign and then a car like hits us. Oh, wow. And it was not like a devastating wreck, but it was immediately a consequence. It's yeah. like I got high, a wreck happened, you know? <laughs> and so, and then I, the first time I got drunk was that same year. Um, my high school had won state football championship and I did that. I was very nervous about getting drunk still. Um, and I don't even know if I was acting it or being performative, but I was drinking a lot of beers, but then I also drank a lot of Dr. Peppers after, yeah. you know what I mean? So like try and figure out that one out, but that's just made sense when you're in 10th Wait, grade. Did you, you felt like maybe you were diluting it? Yeah, I guess so. I just like, I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, I guess hurt myself. Yeah. This, this is a survivalist Possibly. move. There you go. <laughs> and so, Makes sense. so I did that and, um, so I, the, the public school was not really like too good for me. And I kind of struggled with those guys and really feeling like I was a part of like, they, they really got into like the weed and stuff. But I, yeah, I grew up where it was like, you know, you, you, you have instilled in you this kind of fear of hell that's like pretty prevalent and strong. And so it's like, I'm participating, but I'm drawn back yeah. and you know what I mean? And so I really wasn't ready to give in. And you're at, yeah, you're probably like experiencing all kinds of Christian guilt. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I, um, so then I transferred to a, a Christian private school mm -hmm. and oddly enough, it's like that alcoholic thing of being an extreme or being contrarian, you know, and defiant. Like I got into this school, well now everyone's good. And it's like, well now they're too good for me. Mm. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I kind of want to ruffle things up. And yeah. so like, I really became like a class clown. Like I really, I like, got nominated funniest twice. And like, you know, I was the kind of kid, like, like I was, I was willing to push the edge with these kids, but I wasn't like that way with like, like drugs and alcohol, but like we, there was a class, like I graduated with a class of 20 people and there were 16 guys and four girls. And oh, it's like, yeah. we were just like a mini, you know, fraternity sort of thing. And so we just smoked a lot of cigarettes and, you know, we might've had a couple of beers, but I really only really, really got drunk twice in high school. Mm. But, and so I did a lot of speech and debate and, you know, that kind of kept me out of a lot of, lot of trouble. But, um, 
when I got done with, um, with high school, I just had this feeling of like logistically not knowing what was going on or what was next. And like, I just, I didn't get it. Like I didn't get life. Hmm. And I was like, I don't really know how to deal with this. And, uh, I had, I had like my first girlfriend, like we kind of broke up. And so I was upset about that and I was still fat at the time. And so I was like, okay, so what am I going to do about this? And I was like, the first time I really learned how to like reflect was like after that. So I, I started walking. And so I would walk for like an hour and then I'd walk for two hours and then I'd walk like, I mean, I'd walk at like 10 PM to midnight and then I would just come back inside just to walk or for exercise. Well, it was walking to be reflective that turned into exercise. Yeah. And I'd never like, I'm, I was an athlete. Like I played like I would joke in the, you know, the center field or right field or wherever. Like I was a right field kid. Yeah, you know what I mean? You had the glove in your face. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, it's alien. You know what I mean? It's like that, that kind of kid. But like I, um, so like I started losing the weight and, uh, because I started just walking, but it wasn't really like exercise because at the same time, like I would, I would smoke cigarettes sometimes mm -hmm. and then I would dip mm -hmm. and I don't know why, but eventually I put it together that like I lost a shit ton of weight and somehow walking and the nicotine, which was an appetite suppressant and a laxative did this for me. Yeah. So that was the first time I got that reinforcement that like drugs will get you what you need quickly. Yeah. Like, or some sort of chemical. Well, so what happens though is like, I'm this kid that lost all this weight, but I'm still the same person. And yeah. I, it's like, well, how am I going to have swagger or like, how am I going to feel like I had swagger? So I, I, um, I, I kind of met some kids that, uh, uh, that I knew through speech and debate that kind of went on to like be cool in co college and like go to these parties that were really cool. And, um, and so I kind of kept up with them and, uh, they invited me like, you know, to this, this party and it was like the 4th of July and, um, I'll never forget. I worked at a Kroger and there was a liquor store behind it. And so I asked the guy for like two handles of, you know, flavored liquor. It was pineapple, you know, <laughs> like, what is it? Bacar like, what is the pineapple rum? What, which one is um, it? Uh, Malibu? Malibu. Yeah. That's and it showed up with stuff was delicious. It was delicious, <laughs> but I had no idea that like what cool was or whatever. So I just showed up to this party, 19 years old, 4th of July. And like, oh. just like everyone was like, who invited this bitch? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I was, but I was there. Did and somebody I, say that for real? Yeah. Somebody literally was in the pool and like, what, oh. who invited this bitch? You know what I was Oh man, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but I, so like, and then I kind of, they kind of showed me the way that you yeah. do. It's like, you know, well, no, you got to drink bourbon. You can't or, drink Malibu. Right. And so <laughs> I... Like, I never really knew, like, who to hang out with or, like, what a positive, like, influence was. Like, one of those guys I I brought to my, um like, a birthday, like, at, you know, Benny, some sort of Benihana's with my family. And, like, the kid, like, had two beers around my parents. And my mom was like, I don't want you hanging around that kid. And I, like, I had no concept of, like, that he was, you know, some sort of bad influence. But so as things go, like, I, I had a resentment against one of those kids um, and he, just because he was friends with one guy that I liked, mm -hmm. I cut them both out no. and I really regretted cutting one of those guys out. And I, I did an, an amends to that guy later on that meant a lot to me. And I, I, I really, I really love that guy. But so from there I was like, well, now I'm a, I'm a drinking guy, but it's like, what's my identity? And it's like, I, I joined a fraternity mm. and, um, you know, it was really cool. Cause like, it was just starting out and we were going to rebuild it. And I was like, you know, I got to really be involved in this process. And so, you know, you just grow into this thing and it's just like, I, I was able to just float under the radar and be a part of, and like have this, this false camaraderie, um, really hide, yeah. you know, the insecurities that I had. And, you know, some people really get like great benefits from that. And I met some really cool people. Like, I don't think a lot of the guys that I met were really honestly assholes, but I was really honestly an asshole. <laughs> and, um, so I, 
you know, like, and I, when it came to school, like in college, again, like I did one semester at a junior college when I was 19 and I was like, I'm too big for Ellisville, Mississippi. So I went to university of Southern Mississippi, which was like really cool, a very underrated party school. And so that's where I, you know, joined the fraternity and such. And like, you know, I, I was cool. Like I was a cool guy and I, you know, a lot of people really oddly respected me in some way at least I think they did and so you know I, I was different but the same in a lot of ways and so that got me yeah. you know some pull but um it's funny how how like people like people like even into far into their adulthood still like take pride in like yeah. the fact that their school was like we were like top one party school for like two <laughs> years in a row like, yeah <laughs> dude I haven't met one school that I couldn't make a top party yeah. one you know just for me alone I'm gonna believe it yeah because I'm a part of it but um and you know I I had gotten um into a relationship and you know it was one of those things where like I really, really liked this girl. And I didn't really know how to behave. You know what I mean? And like, I knew how to, I, I knew I want honest to God believed I was going to be a sweet guy and honestly wanted to, mm -hmm. but I had no idea the alcoholism, like what I was in for. Yeah. And I remember when I went to meet her parents in Memphis, I um, drove up there and I felt like I knew her parents like kind of like drank. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember feeling like you know, like when you see a bow and it's like pulled back. Yeah. And I knew that once her parents, like the closer I got to Memphis, the better I felt because I knew that I was going to drink when I got there. Yeah. And I, this is the first time I ever met this girl's parents and um, it was a new year's Eve celebration. And um, I, her dad had like a flight of these beers that he had won, like in a, like some sort of drawing bad, you know, bad, good, dirty, whatever, oh, Santa, yeah. some sort of Santa game. Oh. And so I drank so much of them that the next day her brother and her dad like counted the beers that I had had and I had 17 mm. like the first time when you meet a like you have 17 beers yeah yeah and I just thought that well maybe I was fitting in or I don't know why but um and so I from there you know like I but that seems like just like normal to me. Like yeah. When I think about it, like 17 beers seems like, you know, pretty standard amount. It sounds like <laughs> the right amount. It doesn't even sound, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. so I like, and so I just kind of like, I always had excuses for why I was doing like, like I, I never had the money to pay for school. Like I didn't know how tuition worked, but I could act the part of being like a cool student or a cool fraternity guy. And it was like, I always was working and then like back in school. And then people were always asking, when are you going to be back in school? And it's like, I never could keep up with people's mm. pace and, uh, you know, just feeling logistically unintelligent. And, um, so things got really, really bad. Um, whenever we had broken up and I really like took it hard mm. and, um, you know, I caused a lot of chaos for her and for me, you know, being like, like almost like predatorial and yeah. like putting someone in a lot of fear. And, uh, I really regret a, a lot of that. Mm. Um, seriously. When did you realize that you did that when you worked steps? Did, did, was that a realization you had then? Um, I, I had the, like, like I felt the guilt, um, immediately and yeah. like, you know, just being like, but I didn't really know that my alcohol was fueling it. And yeah. I didn't really understand that when I didn't have it, I still had alcoholism. Yeah. And that's something that like still to me to this day is like, well, I, I'm not drinking, but I still have alcoholism. Yeah. You know, it still preys upon me. And so like, it's like with the drink or without it, like I was becoming this warped person yeah. that I didn't like. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, I have a similar experience with the breakup. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like till like 10 years later when I finally got sober and worked steps that I realized that, that how I had been like mentally abusive, right? Uh, almost predatorial mm -hmm. stock, stockter mm -hmm. to a degree. Like, but the, the, the whole time I'm doing these things, I'm thinking mm -hmm. I'm justified in doing them like totally. legitimately. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, she is betraying me. Mm -hmm. And all those things were like justified in my mind. And I went on thinking that for 10 years right. until I finally got sober. And then when I finally did the, uh, you know, the inventory process, mm -hmm. that was like one of those like shifts in my mind. That right. Like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, and I like, there's so much about my life that like I could change, but all of that I has made me like, 
I could not, there's no way I could have learned my lesson if I didn't feel the shame and guilt that I do today. Mm, And I don't, I mean, I like, I, I recognize it, but I don't like live in that today. Like I, I never thought that I was going to be able, like I could get sober, but I never thought that I would be able to like think and be in this present world and move on past some of those things. And like, it has taken a lot of prayer and a lot of meditation. So, but again, so to kind of speed things up with the alcoholism, like, so like I started having, like I started trying to control it and like, I never really wanted, like I enjoyed losing control, but I started to try and control it too. Mm-hmm. And like one thing I did that like, um, I had always had this rule about me that like was kind of of this broad rule, but like I was never going to get too deep into drugs because if they got me for the drugs, the alcohol was going too. And mm-hmm. I could not have that domino shit yeah. happening. Same thing with DUIs. Like I, like, without a doubt, I had every single faith in that if you were behind the wheel of the car and I was in the passenger seat, no doubt in my mind that we were going to get home safe. Yeah. So like <laughs> I was, wi- I was totally willing to put you anybody, even if they were drinking. Totally. Yeah. Like and like, and that was incredibly selfish. Yeah. Um, and like that, that kind of like behavior is just like incredibly toxic but like thank god no one was hurt you know what i mean but like i would do anything to keep that momentum up yeah and um you know i was a incredibly like jealous and insecure person the whole time too and like you know that that just like was who i am and so and then where drugs kind of come into play like i'm not a a, like a drug addict like i am 100 percent an alcoholic and i took drugs to maintain you know what i mean like if my alcoholism is like drew Brees, drugs were my offensive line just to mm. protect what i had yeah. so like for example like adderall and vivance like i really really enjoyed it because like when you're low and you're hung over or you want to continue drinking like i would just take them to get back up yeah and like there was even though i wasn't like addicted per se, like I would do crazy shit to just get them in my possession to like have them. Like there was one guy that I kind of thought had betrayed me um, and that I was incredibly resentful at, but this guy had the stuff and I was willing to forgive him <laughs> like to get, you know, what I needed. And yeah. so there was one, like there was one segment of my life where I would go to his apartment complex and like buy like, you know, the, the pills that I needed, um, to take uh, like my, my uppers and I would have them stashed in a Ziploc bag underneath this pallet behind this dumpster in the apartment complex where I didn't live. So piece this together. Like (laughs) this guy betrayed me, but I was willing to forgive him enough that I could take his pills behind a dumpster in an apartment complex that I didn't live in. Uh Like if that's not unmanageability, (sighs) Like, I don't know what it is. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's like stage four unmanageability. Yeah, that's some, that's some wacky <laughs> shit, huh? But, oh, by the way, I was taking those, uh, those uppers so I could get to work at a Cracker Barrel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like, that's, that's like, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm yeah. on my way to my, my job. But, um, so I, but like in between all this, there were um, some times where I'd have like really strong will that made me think like I can beat this or like there were these glimpses that like I wasn't an alcoholic. And some of those, they still flash back to me today. Like you can go back to that peak right before things got bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause it's just like, I, I guess like the stock market, like it always looks so hot right before, you know, hmm. it dies. And so like, you know, there was a point where I was really working hard and worked three jobs, saving money, and I wasn't drinking at one point. And I got back into school, and I had this moment. And then I, as soon as I got back into school, I went and all, put, you know, plowed it all down to shit. And so, you know, I remember this woman that I worked with at Cracker Barrel was really sweet. You know, she was like, I was cocky about like some party I went to and done a bunch of stuff. And she was like, where was that sweet boy that worked three jobs so that he could get back into school? And like that really affected me, you know? Wow. So I, um, oh yeah, I was going to mention I the, about the driving thing. You know, I had that rule that I was not going to drink and drive. Well, eventually I got arrested for a DUI. Yeah. You know, like it's like the one time I broke that rule, it, it happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't get charged. Um, you know, I blew under at the station, but you know, it was like a Monday 
You know what I mean? And yeah. it's just like, and something I think about when it comes to alcoholism is like, like, yes, I was drinking and driving, but because I had done so much like drinking, you don't take care of the other stuff. And like, really, I didn't get caught because I was driving like impaired. Like I blew a point zero seven nine. Like I doubt that I was really, you know, wavy or, you know, floating around in my car. But when your lights are out, you don't have insurance and all that kind of shit. The lifestyles would get you yeah. caught, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so God, I remember those days, yeah. <laughs> no insurance, just like no inspection sticker, no insurance. You're just like, every time you see a cop, you're like, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I had a cop behind me today and I thought that like they were going to pull me over. And I was like, no, I definitely have insurance. Cause I just saw it went up. You know what I mean? I was, it's like something you can be grateful for in yeah. a weird way. Right. But, um, so yeah, I got, and so everything just kind of like, multiplied and my mom i had this really sweet job where i was working for my mom and i had cracker barrel and i was going to try and you know working to get back in school and do all these things again for like probably the fourth time and um my mom fired me from that job um fired by your mom mm -hmm, fired by my mom that same day i got a speeding ticket um and i had pissed myself that morning and then i later got pneumonia and my laptop had died like all within, you know what I mean? It's just like shit really was like, you know, <laughs> kidding. It's just like stupid and dumb, you yeah. know? And, um, so what kind of happened at the end was like, you know, I like I, it, alcohol stopped working and like I had all this pain and all this pride and I needed alcohol for both those things. But I remember at that very end, like that very last day, just like drinking and like I drank vodka the whole like morning. I like was at the pool and then like went to the bar and I just was drinking all day long, but like it just didn't work, man. And I was like, I feel like betrayed by the one thing I thought I could rely on. Hmm. And so what happened is I went to this party at this girl, um, Teresa's house and, uh, T Teresa, I thought was probably one of the most beautiful girls that like I'd ever seen. And, you know, she was just a cool friend. And, uh, so I went to this party at her house and, um, I saw her on this like patio and there was just like all these people that I didn't know. And they were talking about like, kind of, they were going to go do some hard drugs. And I was really scared of that. Um, and I just remember drinking my beer and I was watching Teresa cause she had been pretty, dr she was pretty drunk. And I remember looking at Teresa and I thought she's the one of the most beautiful people that I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's like, and right now she's like wasted and like her whole face has changed and like I, her spirit's not even in there. And I was like, she is so beautiful. Why is she doing that to her? And then like a spiritual experience, the thought came to me and said, well, why are you doing it to you? Mm. And that was the first time I really ever took it to heart. And so I remember I walked home to my, the place where I was living at and, um, I remember getting in bed and I thought, God, it was 5 a.m. I thought, God, if you, if you kill me like in the night, like I'm going to, I'll be totally happy. But if you wake me up in the morning, like I, I will do something different. And when I woke up the next morning, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to do something different today. Mm -hmm. And so I went to work and I got into this corner and I was shaking and I text my, my parents um, and for some reason, my associate pastor and I said, I think today I'm going to start my journey of recovery. And, um, oh. so yeah, yeah, that's, I guess that's a good part. To, is that a good part? That's <laughs> the perfect, yeah, that's the perfect <laughs> place to take our standard <laughs> millisecond break, uh, we'll stretch and do whatever. We'll be right back. <laughs> awesome. All right. Back from break. So, um. Yeah, where uh, where exactly were we when you left off? Uh, well, I think I had just finished making myself uh, certifiably unemployable. So, okay. <laughs> no, it's like nowhere, nowhere but up. <laughs> but wait, there's an upswing. <laughs> so, like rock bottom. Yeah, is this, is this what you would say your rock bottom is, sir? Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So, all right. So, so I text my parents. You know that I wanted to start my journey of recovery or sobriety, whatever that, 
was going to be. And um, so at 6.30 p.m. on a Sunday, I went um, and I went to my first AA meeting and it was raining and it couldn't have been more dramatic. You know, it's just like, which was, it was, it was kind of a good laugh, you know, yeah. it gave me like a first blink of hope. And I went in and there were four of the oldest people I'd ever seen. And, uh, oh, I guess I said what part of what 12 step group I'm in now. Yeah. Whoops. But <laughs> yeah. so, um, but, uh, I went to my first, uh, 12 step group and, um, I like, they were really old. And, um, this person, you know, it was talking about basically that he was getting sober in Macomb, Mississippi, which is where a lot of my family is from. And, uh, was talking about the men that worked on the railroads and like, they were all the, the drunks. And then a lot of them got sober. And so I listened and I was like, well, my grandfather, I think he was sober or, you know, I kind of had oh. like, and I was like, well, I wonder if he knew my my grandfather and so i just i didn't say anything the whole meeting but after i was like hey did you know my my grandfather um and he said your grandfather was the greatest sponsor that AA ever had what and i was like wow and then he just said do you think you have a drinking problem and i said totally and i just broke down damn that's a spiritual experience right now yeah (laughs) i mean like that was i that really you know, I, so, so that like from there, I was immediately propelled. Like if I don't go to a meeting right now that, so I went to my second one, um, which was in a treatment center. And, um, and so there was a guy there who, um, uh, who I actually went to his funeral. Like he died sober. Mm. Um, which if you ever get a chance to go to someone's sober funeral, like when they don't die of like active alcoholism, what a beautiful thing that is. And so I, but I remember he was there and he was talking about how he was an atheist and how he was, you know, going like, but had this amount of time. And I was like, well, if this was in a church and now I'm in a treatment center and this guy's an atheist and he can do it. Yeah. I was like, I, I gotta, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sold right now. Right. So I went to my third meeting like the next day or maybe two days later. And, um, uh, the first person that said hello to me in that room um, ended up being my first sponsor. Wow. And so did you uh, tell him you were cut from the cloth of the greatest sponsor that ever lived? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hope you live up to my grandfather. I don't remember. <laughs> so you've got a lot to live up to, but, uh, so and his name was Chris and Chris, um, is still sober today. And nice. he, um, like he, t- he was a, um, an Iraq war veteran and he had a, a Jeep like mine and we didn't have a lot in common, but we had an, a lot in common enough to get me to stay. Yeah. And I needed someone not like me. Yeah. And, Isn't it crazy how like you hear a lot, like you have to find somebody. Well, you, I mean, I don't know who's saying it, but you hear it that like find somebody you, you connect with mm-hmm. or somebody you're compatible with. And that is not necessary whatsoever. Yeah. If you both have the sim, a similar alcoholic experience uh-huh. and one person has found a solution the other person can get sober yeah i don't want the i didn't i did <laughs> not need anyone like corbin whenever i came in <laughs> yeah. and you know i but i could i was desperate enough to trust him yeah and um and so i and so i wasn't perfect like i've never like i've never re- relapsed but my first two weeks before I got close enough to him, like I got into situations where like, like I did whippets one time and I mm. smoked weed, like maybe for the first two weeks. But then we had that, I guess like a talk that everyone yeah. does where it's like, well, you can't do these anymore. Oh. And so <laughs> I don't know if anyone got that, <laughs> but I got the, you can't do these anymore. No, I think I, I was pretty, well, I, I mean, I came in for various things. Uh-huh. So for me, I was like, I can't do anything. I know I can't do yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna. So I didn't, I didn't like pick up a, you know, a desire chip or anything because I didn't honestly know. But so when, then we started reading the the big the 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 book together, you know, the big book, yeah. and um, whichever one yours might be. Um, but I read a blue one, um, <laughs> and so so we read it together. And he was big about service work. Whatever you can do, just do it. And so. 
I washed a lot of coffee mugs. That was something I really loved doing. And I really loved going to AA meetings and like the divier, the better. I really loved that. And, um, you know, I, I was still very reluctant to hang out with people and get close. And mm. that took, I mean, three years of sobriety, um, to get even really, really close to people. But I did go to a lot of meetings and I chaired meetings and I loved meetings. I laughed in them a lot. And, um, but when we started working the steps together, I, I remember him saying, as we, he opened the book and he said, the way that I was living was shortchanging myself. And that was the first time I felt like somebody had just said like, oh yeah, alcohol, like I think I'm owed something by life. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, I, I was still very much like an atheist because for whatever reason I was desperate, but I was, you know, clinching in my hatred. Yeah. And he was, he said, I want you to go home every night and I want you to pray 10 times in a row. God, please remove my obsession to drink. And I said, I'm not fucking doing that. And mm. he said, I don't give a fucking shit if you do. And so like he did that, <laughs> which to me, I grew up in where, you know, if you believed in God, you didn't curse or that was yeah. some sort of fake rule. So I loved it. I was like, okay, this, he might be my kind of person. Yeah. Um, but when, when I did that, and eventually I just kind of looked up one day and the obsession was gone. Like you couldn't make me an unbeliever. Yeah. Um, and so I was fully on board with this. So I, I remember like I had to start like making amends and you know, when we did the, the, the fifth step, the infamous fifth step, like I had that spiritual experience that everyone talks about and I felt so free. And so I started, you know, making the amends and I remember the first person I paid back was this, this kid, um, Austin, um, and I owed him $40, you know, cause he paid my bar tab. I needed something small. And then I think I owed my roommate some rent money. And then I did that. And then when well, the next one was like, um, I, I owed like Southern Miss like $6,000 and that was keeping me from actually finishing my education. And so I started working on that and working on that. And there was a lot of painful experiences where my friends that I used to drink with would ask me to go do things and I couldn't because I was working and saving, you know, and paying down this debt. And as much as I hated every single time that like I said no to them, what I didn't realize is that at the end of that, if I wasn't paying down that debt, I wouldn't have had two years of sobriety. (laughs) And so it's like, so many times I feel like people get caught up in like the amount that they owe instead of what is the process going to do for you. Wow. Yeah. And so I did that. But then what happened after that is like, you know, I, as I got to right to the end of that, I was like, okay, well, you know, I haven't made any major changes. And like they said, and you know, I kind of wanted, I needed to like, I, I don't know if you would call it a geographical cure, but I was really done with Mississippi. Yeah. So I moved to new Orleans and I moved here cause you know, mostly my, you know, I thought it was a cool city and I, I grew up around it. You know, my half of my family was from the North shore, but I, I, I moved here and I was like, you know what I want, I just wanted something better for myself. And, um, you know, I kind of went to, I had some stuff that was still some shame and some guilt that was built up around me. Um, so I went to a counselor like before all that, um, which really helped me out a lot and getting, you know, I didn't go to treatment. Um, but I did go see a counselor for like 12 sessions and I did my best in like going to meetings and doing service work. So like, you know, that worked for me and I hope like, no one should ever feel ashamed of seeing a counselor, um, yeah. whether you're coming in or staying in like, dude, get, throw whatever you can at this thing. Well, I started seeing a therapist for the first time in my life at like five years sober. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, you yeah. know, sometimes you get in a funk yeah. and you need to get, get your, you know, ass kicked in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me it was, it was, um, there was like a lot of stuff that, maybe was like I felt maybe was underlying that was like being like the driving force of a lot of a lot of my behaviors Mm -hmm. that I just felt like I needed to like do some like therapy Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) you know uh steps changed my life Mm -hmm. I swear by them you know and 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 I I work them and and I will continue to work them the rest of my life uh you know god willing but Mm -hmm. you know I've you know, and I, and, and then I said, I've since stopped going, but I, I intend to go back. Right. You know, it's a good thing to do. There's mm-hmm. no shame in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hundred percent believe in it, but you know, it was cool though, because he was, he really asked me, he was like, so what's going to happen when you move to new Orleans, you know? And there was like, 
you know, because I, I never really drank too much in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a blessing. Yeah. So I really got to experience the city as a sober city. Wow. Which, yeah. um, me too. I you came know, here and got sober. You know? <laughs> <laughs> New pair of glasses. Right. <laughs> it's like really putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know no bars here. Everybody's yeah. always like referencing bars to me. They're like, <laughs> you know, over there by Mr. Jackie Jack. I'm right. Like, I have no idea where Mr. Jackie Jack is. Oh, yeah. Is. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I can't can't believe what they're doing over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's a, they what do they have those? The. The Molotov cocktails. Oh, don't you mean hand grenades? Yeah, yeah what you said. You Those know? things. Yeah, <laughs> but like they always try to give you directions based on what, what the, the like. That's normal here. A hundred percent. Every time they want to tell you where something is, they reference where a bar is, <laughs> and I'm like, no idea. No, no clue. <laughs> it's like you could probably give me some coffee shops or sandwich exactly. shops. Like that's yeah. that's like it's the sober reference points yeah. or a vape shop if you're into that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So okay, so. What what was cool though in New Orleans is I I I backtracked, mm-hmm. which really set me up for success because I went through some pain. Like it was like I moved here, but I was so scared because I was like, oh, this is new meetings and like they they don't do it like they do. You know what I mean? And yeah. so you kind of go through that that cognitive dissonance. And then I was in this relationship, and like you know I sometimes it's just like it 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 was nice to like like I didn't mean to like not be present for her. But I also didn't mean to not be present for myself. And like, I didn't mean to like be a bad person sober, which I wasn't a horrible person, but I just wasn't present. Yeah. I didn't get, I still hard headed person. I didn't get what life was about and what they meant when they like, you know, can you be more proactive and things like that. So eventually I just kind of like, it was a bad breakup and I, you know, I, I met this guy right before, um, and they, the guys like I'd go, so my my group meets at seven fifteen every morning. But before that, there were these men that would read and they all looked happy. And I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be in that. Please. No. Like, I don't want to be that sober. It's like Wednesday night. Uh, yeah. Bible study. Exactly. It's like, it's like, they're probably the sober Christians. You know what I mean? But so, but that all happened. And I, I hands in the air, like surrendered and I was surrendering again. And so I, I met my now sponsor, um, his name's uh, Tim, and he's just like this, you know, big jolly guy from the West Bank, and he's always smiling, and he is a very practical person, yeah. and that's what I felt like I needed, because again, it was a new city, I'm, you know, still getting sober, you know, or being sober, living sober, and he was like, the first thing he said to me, he said, Corbin, there's two things, you gotta change your life, and then he said, second thing, the way I like to change my life is I, when I make a sandwich, I cut it diagonal so that when I pick up the sandwich, I get to experience the sandwich in, you know, two different segments and really sit with it and enjoy it. And I thought, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? Literally not my surprise, but like, what does this have to do with anything? But the point is, is like, we started talking about food a lot more. Yeah. And so I was working in a cool restaurant and you know, he was just talking to me and he's like, And so he explained that like he used to, you know, like mess around and not be there for his wife and have these big lavish lunches at Galatoire's. Mm -hmm. But now he has these sandwiches, the simplicity with his wife. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I, that's the word I've been missing is I just want some simplicity. Yeah. And so he taught me some other things and, you know, we, we really bonded. And so on the other side of that is I met his sponsor. who was this really tough guy from South Boston and he just like waterboarded me, you know <laughs> what I mean? And I n- never really understood why anyone would want to do that. And cause you know, I'm, I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm, you know, like people were always kissing my ass. He's one of those hardcore guys that yeah. you always like stay away from. Like I'm not exactly. going around that guy. Cause he's just like <laughs> in your face. Right. Which yeah. that's like, like being mean is like a, it's a, it's a lifestyle when you're in Boston <laughs> and it's like in New Orleans, everyone's just happy and yeah. so, but like what I didn't understand is that like culturally, like when he's mean, he's love, he loves you yeah and he's teaching me. And so there was a moment where I've just like put my, I was like, you're not going to tell me anything. Don't talk to me, you know, still struggling with changing who I am and really being 
a, a cornerstone in this. Mm. And he said, your whole life, people have been talking sweet to you so they could fuck you over. And I'm the first person to ever be mean to you because I love you. And I was like, okay, that's what accountability is. Yeah. And maybe I've been looking at nice the wrong way. So I started reading with them every, every morning, five days a week. And like that has been instrumental to me Yeah. and it sucks. But what has been cool is that I get the 12, like I get my group over with. Yeah. And for someone that dealt with the shame and guilt of being an abnormal person or not feeling a part of like to get it over with and to learn the most simple th ways to apply the 12 steps as possible made me feel that like, at 8 p.m., I can be just a human and not an alcoholic. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and they just taught me, they just taught me little practical things and like, you know, like don't carry a lot of money on you or, you know, like work, work on a Friday night. Yeah. You know, like, and they taught when my car died, um, uh, they taught me how to buy a car and like not buy one that the, guy could make a lot of money off of me for, you know? And, and so then I got back into school and I thought I was going to get too busy, but actually I've been able to afford, you know, anything that I've needed. I've been able to go back to school sober and, you know, that's been an incredible process for me. And like now I'm, I've actually finished, you know, community college. And, you know, I, I want to say this because like, the, the shame and guilt, like, even though you might work the steps, like you're always, you're never going to really like, you really always are playing tennis with this thing into me. And it's like, you just got to be ready to bat it when it comes. Yeah. You can't, it's not a matter of if, but when. And so, and so one of the hardest days of my life was when I went to my advisor at Delgado where I went to community college and he was looking at my transcripts and he was just like struggling to put together a plan for me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I had looked at all the wasted time that I had. And at the same day, the same day, like my car had died and like, I didn't know how I was going to go to school sober without a car and just figure all this out. Like I just started summer school and I remember being in an Uber crying. Like this is the, one of the worst days of my life because I'm really looking at me mm. and I'm sober, but they helped me conquer that. Yeah. They helped me get through that. I like, I can't thank them enough for that. And, you know, it took me a long time to see that what was on the wall was completely different than what was expected of me. And I have so few roles like as a person, like, okay, I'm a student. Can I be the best student I can be? That's a removal of my character defects. Mm. Like, can I be the best person that I can be in AA, you know, and call and help sponsor guys and stuff. And I'm not perfect at that. Like I'm still pretty young and like reckless and rebellious where I want to be, but I try to be, you know, can I, can I just call my sister? Can mm. we don't even have to have a great relationship, but I can call yeah, her. Yeah. That's so like just that action is so powerful. They, it's just a little simple thing like that. And I was like, Oh, that's really all I've needed my whole life. It's just some sort of simple suggestion and to follow that. Yeah. You know, I don't really like, like something that, you know, I, I really struggle sometimes with being resentful or not being resentful with how I was raised in, you know, a Christian environment. And I don't hate Christians. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I just think that I hate legalism and rigidness. And, but something I remember is that like when they said that God, like his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I think that like when I'm struggling with this, the steps or my life, there has to be almost this point where I have to sit with it and be like, God probably wants this to be easier for me than it is. Mm -hmm. You know, this has got to be easier than how I'm making it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Huh? Yeah. That's the, uh, yeah. So, and, um, so some little things I think like, just in my life, like when I can, something I started doing within this past year was I've started going to treatment and corrections meetings, which to me, I, and like, and you see a lot of the same guys that go to that, like, and you do as well. Like the people that go to that I saw, and I was like, I have such a fear of like imposter syndrome 
like of being a fraud. And I, you know, part of the reason, like, you know, like you're a friend of mine is I've, I've seen you like, and you're in those meetings. You're, you know, you're one of those guys. that's like, you know, I, I don't, I want to be like them. Yeah. I want to be that happy person that like gets their hands bloody in this thing and helps mm. people that don't, that don't get it. And it's like, that's the kind of person that I wanted to be. And so I started going to bridge house and you know, when I can, I try and read on Tuesdays or, you know, I've been to a couple of other treatment and corrections meetings and like that it, giving it away really, it, cause it's like at a certain point you can't like listen to your sponsor. It's like, it just kind of, it's like, yeah. it's like watching a movie on mute at some point. It's like, okay, now what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that really helped me so much. And it helped a lot with my paralysis by analysis. Like it's like, well, I can do literally anything they're not doing. Yeah. You know, and I'm free to do anything that they can't do because they're trapped in here by their own choices. So it gave me a lot of like leeway to enjoy my life again. Yeah. Dude, the the whole like the whole principle of like trying to give it away or trying to like there's that um, there's that there's this uh, little segment in the book that you spoke of earlier and it talks about, you know, the sober uh, father in the house who gets um, who gets so excited about recovery, right? But he's not giving it away, mm-hmm. and he and it, and it describes him as a, as a um, a prospector mining for gold, um, and it says, um, you know, he's like a gaunt prospector. And and finally he's mining and finally his pick strikes mm. gold. Yeah. Right. And that's like us when we get sober, we find this like incredible way of living and this um you know, this thing that's just indescribable, right? And we go, Oh, this is incredible and we wanna keep it mm-hmm. to ourselves and then the miner finds the gold and he wants to keep it to himself and the the only thing is that he doesn't realize that he has struck an infinite load that mm. It would all and an infinite load that will only pay dividends if he ins, if he he mines it for his whole life and insists to give all of it away. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, right? Yeah, that's recovery. That's that's what this is all about, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, you really brought forth that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, I think. Uh, if you want to say anything in closing, you can, or if not, we can just wrap it up there. Yeah. I, I do want to say a couple of things real quick, just yeah. for more, just like brief words about just living life. Um, you know, I, um, I have a wonderful relationship with my girlfriend mm. and, you know, I really, and having, you know, like some failed relationships and sobriety, and I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to be the guy who's just, you know, I'm sober, but I have terrible relationships or a chaotic relationship or, you know, like I never could just settle and enjoy things. And, you know, it takes a, it took a lot of being, you know, like being there to make mistakes, to really get tired of yourself and really make a change and Mm -hmm. like learn something different. And like, now I have this relationship with my girlfriend and, you know, like I, I don't have anything to be ashamed of yeah. and we really talk things over and like, she is so special and supportive and, you know, we like I, half the, half the battle of like me in a new relationship, it's like really being myself. And I thought that, well, if I couldn't split the bill, you were going to, you know, think less of me. Yeah. But because we do little things like that, like we we're able to do a lot more. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's that, that kind of thing is scary. And it's like, you never really, when you're in active addiction, you can't put it together, man. No. It's like, I don't understand how this is causing me to, to drink, Yeah. but it's like, you can't handle that stress. And eventually you're going to compound into that mm. and it, it's going to compound on you and you're just going to collapse. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that, like that feeling that you always have to pay for everything mm-hmm. like that in a relationship. And then like the times where like I go, okay, no, allow, 
allow her to pay if she was right you know what i mean it's not like like that's all ego yeah i mean you know yeah like, no i got this right I can't, and then it's like if these people are gonna see you paying for me you know? <laughs> like, i can't have that dude i couldn't i couldn't i, I can't like the, the amount of i still look i still have a hard time having any guess of like what i think i can afford you yeah. know what i mean and oh, that's god. just yeah god <laughs> hey look it's like what is it fear of economic insecurity it doesn't mean you'll be free from yeah. economic insecurity it's just a you'll the be fear, free from the fear which is probably sometimes bad because <laughs> you maybe should have yeah i should be a little more scared <laughs> instead of just spending like crazy right <laughs> but and um you know i have a great relationship with my father now nice. and um you know my dad i and some things like I didn't really, so in, even in sobriety, my character defects have held me back. Like, mm. you know, I didn't really understand how to get more intimate. And it, I remember like trembling on the phone one day with my dad being like, dad, I have known you my whole life and we only talk to each other four times a year. And it's like, I want to talk to you every single week at this time. And like, it's like, wow, that can be done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he was totally open and that and you know we we get busy we might reschedule but it's like i talk to my dad you know every single week and you know and if i don't have a perfect relationship with somebody in my family the least i can do is not antagonize mm. and that's that's the best i'm going to do today and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of freedom in that mm. and that's really all i wanted when i came in is like i i didn't want to feel as pathetic uninteresting and it held in bondage as I was from alcohol. And I had no, if I would have planned out the life that I wanted when I got sober, like I would have been, I'd have been completely fucked. You know what <laughs> I mean? Cause like who, who I am today, like I am so, I'm so proud of myself even when I'm a little bitch about this stuff, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's been a wavy ride. Wow. Damn dude. Yeah. Um, family relationships coming together mm -hmm. that makes me that makes me emotional every time <laughs> I hear it, man. you know because uh you know just uh repairing the relationship with my mother and you know and you know ha being able to have been there and make amends to my dad and be a good son to my dad before he died right. like all that stuff man it's, it's you know this this evening right before you came over my nephew called me. Yeah. He's eight, nine. He has a phone now, so he shoots me texts from time to time. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to text with him. Yeah. I want to text with him. I want a relationship with him. And I, I, I'm, he calls me, and I'm about to get in the shower. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, the shower's got to wait. And he's, like, singing some banana song to me. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, that is the most, that is the most special thing. Right. And, 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 and it, it, it warms my heart and to hear, like, you know, the relationships that other people make with their families and, and, and repair that. That's just, Oh man, that's the meat of life, brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mom, dad, Susan, Mike, yeah. I love y'all. Oh, well, thanks for coming, man. Dude.